Welcome to the Lost in Transit podcast. I'm your host, Spud Groshong. So, it was a few months ago I had this idea that, well, there's tons of travel podcasts out there. And I figured I would reach out to some hosts and see if they wanted to cross-promote podcasts. So, this week on the podcast, I have Travis Timmons. Travis is the host of a podcast called So How Was the Trip? Travis is a traveler, a father, a husband, and in this episode, you'll hear him talk about all of that and some travel stuff. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to Lost in Transit Podcast. I'm your host, Spud Groshong. Today on the show, I have Travis Timmons, is the host of So How Was the Trip Podcast. Welcome to the show, Travis. Thanks, Spud. It's good to be here, man. It's great to have you. So I see on your on your Instagram, there's a little tagline that says, a podcast dedicated to telling travel stories for regular people. Who's a regular person? That's it. The idea or the maybe the inspiration, which is probably a slightly generous term behind it, is that you go on vacation, come in, you come home, your friends ask, how was the trip? And you kind of say awesome or give a an anecdote or a story, but nobody really gets a full inclusive account of what your, your trip or your travel was like. So that's kind of the inspiration behind the travel. It tends to be, um, in everything from folks like you that have an online presence that do travel to some friends of ours to, I also drive for Uber and work in sales and like people I just kind of run into like, Hey, do you want to, it's a really weird proposition to ask someone if they want to be on a podcast, but if they start talking about a trip, I'm like, Hey, this is kind of dumb, but you want to tell, you want to tell that story. So it's everything from friends, family, people we reach out to online, people I run into. Um, but it's just kind of this all inclusive thought that nobody really gets a full account of what somebody's trip or vacation or maybe lifestyle. If they do more of a nomadic thing, Nobody really gets that full account of what somebody's travel is unless you sit down and like, hey, let's take an hour and just talk about it. Oh, yeah, I dig that a lot. It's I can't count the number of times I've sat in a hostel somewhere meeting brand new people and just been like, let's talk about our trips. And it's been killer every time. That and look, it, it feels a little self-indulgent to be like, okay, yeah, like you sit there for 30 minutes and I'm going to tell you about what we did. And on a platform like this, it's it's okay. And it's socially acceptable to talk about yourself or what you've done for, for 30, 40 minutes. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I do it with my family. I do it with my friends. I do it with literally everybody. It's It's the one topic that I actually enjoy talking to anybody about. And most people have an input. So it's kind of fun. Yeah, that, and it's, I also try to find things to do. If I find things to do rather than just sitting and watching TV when I'm done with everything for the night. So something that's kind of life giving something that puts me in the spot to meet some cool and interesting people. So that's really what it's been. It's a fun project to as weird as it sounds to, you know, kind of make new friends or create relationships with like-minded people and, just gather some really cool stories. Yeah, absolutely. Have you, uh, have you met anybody that like might've been somebody you reached out to on the internet to interview? 
Well, I've met some friends of friends that I didn't otherwise know or wouldn't have otherwise met. I haven't of the, we've done, I think, 39 episodes. Okay. And of that 39, probably a dozen have been people that I just kind of reached out to on Instagram or online. Okay. Of yeah. those, I don't actually think there's anybody I've met. No, okay. No, there's not. Yeah. Well, next so, time I'm in Texas, we'll have to. There you coffee. go, man. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. I've had, it's just kind of happenstance that, and we've been doing this for, I guess, 10 months or something like that. So as time goes and we continue to bounce around the globe, hopefully we'll run into somebody. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a small world once you start moving. Yeah. Sweet. All right. Well, let's bounce into this 10 questions really quick. Uh, let's go. Oh, okay. So I would also say that to kind of finish that last answer that one of our self-deprecating jokes that we always make is that like we're it's we get around and we are we we travel and do as much as we can we my wife and i are, are mid-30s we have two kids under five we live in the suburbs we drive a van there's nothing special or wonderful about us or glamorous but that's kind of our our niche is just like hey this is us we're not really that cool or edgy but we try to experience life in cool ways and reach out and connect with people that feel the same way. So when you say regular people, that's kind of the joke of being vanilla and living in the suburbs in our stage of life is part of that too. Oh, I totally get that. And it seems like that's, even though it's not edgy or whatever, it seems like it's more <laughs> than a lot of people do who do live in the suburbs and drive a van and have kids. Yeah. More than anyway, more than my friends that I know that have kids and live in the suburbs. Yeah. <laughs> so I totally get that. And you like you just were on a trip, right? To you just went to Oregon and you just went to Australia. So you're doing yeah. stuff. We've had That's a nice great. little run. I mean, yeah, we did just under two weeks in Australia at the beginning of June, and then I got home and left my wife with the kids for five days and went to the Oregon coast to stay with a friend. So, yeah, yep. we had a nice little run. And in the last 15 months, we've done uh, – it feels weird talking about – but, hey, you, you ask. So we've done oh. Norway, Amsterdam, Australia. We did Melbourne and then Sydney for a one-night stopover. Um, what are we? Northern Italy, Colorado a couple times. Actually, Oregon three times. Oregon's one of our favorite places to go to, especially when you live in a place like Texas in the summertime. You you find places that aren't quite so hot and humid to go to you. Yeah. Then Utah, San Diego twice, um, everything West. We've kind of given up on the East coast. I never really was the biggest <laughs> fan of the East coast. I mean, it's fine. I lived in DC for a time. Like it's, it's fine, but you can kind of have everything color or East of Colorado and I'll, I'm okay. Yeah. I totally get that. But no, <laughs> to your point though. Yeah. We've, we've traveled a fair amount and that's what we really, spend all of or most of our disposable income on we've kind of set up our jobs in a way where we can get away pretty easily and that took some time to figure out but but yeah that's our story and sometimes you take the kids sometimes we don't that was going to be my probably, next question yeah we probably slightly prefer to go without the kids but we also can't shake them loose every time we can't overuse the grandma card to babysit while we go somewhere and i'm I don't throw stones at 
the take the kids family travel folks. But um, I don't know. Our kids are a bit young. They're three and five now, so we can do a little bit more with them. But, you know, up until really the last six months, there's not a lot that we've been able to or wanted to do with them. And to that, to that point a little bit, all they want to do is go jump in a pool or go to a swing set. We don't need to fly to Colorado to, to go to a playground, if you know what or I mean. Nor- or Italy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So then international travel with kids is just something that it's just not our, it's just not our thing. Sure. Yet. We'll get there, but not yet. I had a conversation with my sister this morning about she had taken my niece to Chicago for the first time. And she's like, she's getting ready to want to go to a lot of places. And she's like 10. And I'm like, get her a passport. I'll buy her first international ticket. Well, 10, 10's right in the wheelhouse. I think I've got a nine year old niece that would be a blast, but our kids just aren't there yet. Sure. I totally get that. All right. Let's bust into these 10 questions. Um, Let's do it. So question one, if you were given $5,000 and had a plane ticket waiting at the airport, but had to leave right now, where would you go? Ticket for just me. See, we we just talked about, I live on a cul-de-sac, drive a van and have responsibilities. So my first thought, I'm like, what am I going to do with my wife and kids? So yeah. The one place I want to go that I haven't been to, just me, probably Southeast Asia. I've not done – I've got a buddy that lives in Thailand that I'd go visit and we hang out with him for a couple weeks. I don't even think I need $5,000, but I'd bounce around Southeast Asia. That would be a lot of money in Southeast Asia. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. First thought, it's funny. And my first thought is, one, somewhere I haven't been, and then two, even though you just said you're giving me free money. My first thought was to get really practical. Like, oh, who can I stay with for free? <laughs> That's not what the question was. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. But I I approve practicality. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't Great. been to Southeast Asia and I need to. It's lovely. I love yeah. it's probably my favorite place to go. Yeah, that's I hear a bunch of people say that. I'd yeah, I'd probably go to Thailand and then Yeah, Thailand and Vietnam. I took my girlfriend to Southeast Asia for her first international trip and she she became a travel addict immediately. We went on like eight trips last year. Nice. <laughs> it's terrible. Um yeah. <laughs> so have you ever been stranded anywhere? This is like my favorite question because people's version of stranded is so different. Nothing extreme. The one the first thought that I have is my wife and I on a, our first, actually our first international trip, we were very, and we were very stereotypical. We were in Paris. We got stuck on a train going the wrong way. And it was about 20 minutes before we realized that it was going the wrong way. So we got stuck in a pretty crappy part of Paris and had to wait about 30 minutes for the, for the train going back the other way. That doesn't really count. The only other thought that I had when I lived in DC, I was right out of school and went to, went to happy hour after work and it's kind of a really shameful story, but it happened. I fell asleep on the train, woke up all the way at the end of the red line way out. And God, where was that? Um, Yeah. Way out in Prince George's County, Maryland. And I was 23 living paycheck to paycheck. I had about 40 bucks in my bank account 
and it was this was 2005 or six pre Uber. Sure. And I I don't even know if I had a credit card that had any room on it. I was so broke. So it was about a sixty dollar cab ride to get back home after I got drunk and fell asleep on the train. And I had this cabbie that just got in the cab knowing the whole time I wasn't going to be able to pay for it. This isn't on a trip, but it's like, if you talk about being stranded or being stuck, that's probably the first thing that comes to mind. Sure. That's that to me is a story. I'm a bad person for doing this, but I I didn't have the money. I just got in the cab knowing I couldn't pay for it. And I got, and it was like 62 bucks and I, I did not have $62 to my name as a 23 year old. And I just told the guys like, Hey, follow me to the ATM. I'll, I'll, I'll get you. And then I just split and took off like an absolute loser. <laughs> That's okay. Though. Poor guy. Sure probably got like it. five kids. Yeah. Poor guy's probably got five kids. He's supporting moved from Pakistan, immigrate to the U S and I'm just like, I don't know. You were a kid year old to guy that goes and gets drunk. Yeah, I guess. That's the, the one time I would say I was stranded. Internationally, there's not been, or on the road, there's not been anything that is super extreme. Um, I mean, outside of taking a train going the wrong way or being stuck in an airport or missing a flight, nothing too crazy. Sure, okay. Um, you know, just being a bad, just being a bad person at home. Hey, that's okay. it doesn't make you a bad person. I feel like everyone's done something <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah. I, it's uh, funny that was, God, that was 13 years ago. I still feel bad. I mean, anyway. Uh, it, it definitely sounds like you still feel bad. <laughs> I do. Yeah. Um, but anyway, next question. Okay. <laughs> uh, what was your worst trip? Worst trip, actually that. speaking of. Yes. Speaking of taking the kids, the first trip that we took with the kids, we went to Colorado last summer and it was bad for two reasons. One, because they were awful and they just weren't quite ready for it. Two, we had this, we'd been looking around a little bit, trying to figure out where we want to put roots down. We've really just chased the next job or chased economic opportunity to a bunch of places and we finally are at a point where like, okay, where do we want to live? I want to live somewhere I love. And we narrowed down Colorado Springs for whatever reason. We're like, you know what? Let's, my wife had been there once or twice. I had never been to Colorado Springs. We're like, let's go to Colorado Springs. Let's take the kids. Like, let's really look around and see if this is a place that we could put roots down. And first thing, we were very disappointed with Colorado Springs. There's a bunch of really cool stuff to go and do and explore. The whole town felt very suburban, which again, that's fine. And it just felt a little dated. We were disappointed with the place. Our kids were just disastrous, which it was our fault. We had an expectation that we could do all of the things that we wanted to normally do and just bring them along and think, all right, well, we'll stop and we'll go back to the hotel or back to the Airbnb and catch a nap. But it it didn't work. I mean, everything we had planned fell through. We ended up, um, yeah, it was just bad all the way around. Like everything we wanted to do, we couldn't do. Our kids were pretty whiny. There was one night we, (laughs) so we had our full list of things to do. None of them worked out. We thought like, all right, let's just go get a decent dinner. So we went to this place that had a 
it's a really I forget what it's called, but a really cool spot, nice outdoor area where you sit and eat, great craft cocktail list, good food. And we pulled up and our four year old fell asleep maybe ten minutes before we got there. And we the way that she was, if you wake her up in, in the middle of a nap, she's a nightmare. So we thought, okay, she's not gonna sleep that long in the car. Let's just wait. So we sat there and watched this restaurant go from one or two people sitting at the outdoor and indoor tables to being completely full while she was still sleeping. So we punted on that. We ended up going to depressing Panera bread and getting a, like mac and cheese and a PB and J. And, uh, and then we're like, all right, well, we can still get out to Pike's Peak before sunset. Let's just go drive up there and watch the sunset. Well, anyway, that closed at seven and we were an hour away. That didn't work out. And then I was like, oh, let's go out to the painted mines in Peyton. I'm like, that's, that'll be fun. That ended up being, I thought we were 30 minutes away. We were about an hour and 10 minutes away. That didn't work out. So we actually ended up, and all the girls wanted to do was go back and like watch TV at a hotel because they can flip through channels rather than, I don't know. They've never seen anything other than Netflix and Amazon. So the idea that you can just flip through cable was life-changing to them. Um, but yeah, man, like I could keep going, but it basically was like, Everything that we had planned didn't work out, and our kids just weren't quite ready to go on vacation and be active. And our our expectations were were off because we didn't know any better. But I would say that was the worst one we've ever taken. That oh no, actually, <laughs> no, I've got another one. Funny on my honeymoon, for Christ's sake. Oh lord, we, I I we went to Mexico and I got sick two days into my honeymoon, like really yeah, that... sick. That doesn't sound good. No, and it's also, you know, I mean, I dated my wife for a little bit before we got married, but there's still a bit of you're not quite as willing to be as vulnerable as you should be until you get married and live together or start to create a life together. So it was like I was slingshotted right into like just my stomach exploding in every direction. And things coming out of me that smell woof, but really, really bad. <laughs> like, hey, babe, love you. And then you also do punt on your honeymoon and like throw in the towel. Like, all right, can we please go home? So I didn't say it. And at one point, she, my wife, Laura, just said, do you want to just call the airline and try to go home? Like before she could finish that sentence, I was like, yes, yes, let's go home. Um, yeah, that was that's probably actually the worst. Yeah, that's how, that, that your, sounds worse than Colorado Springs with the kids. Yeah, you don't get your honeymoon back. No, you can take another trip. You know what I mean? That's that's a yeah. Long, I yeah. That. That's it. All right. Next question: Is there anywhere you've been that you'd love to go back to, and why? Well, there's a little bit of recency bias behind this question, but. Maybe my favorite city or the most underrated city in the world, in my opinion, is Melbourne, Australia, I, I where we just got back there. from. Ah, oh, God, I love it. And part of the reason is because the first place I ever went, I did a summer abroad there back in college when I'd never been anywhere. And it just it's just special. So going back there and it's just special and nostalgic and I love it. I agree. It's a completely special place to me, too. I think it's yeah, and I think it's um yeah, it's wonderful and 
like I said, we just got back. So if you ask me in a few months, my answer might be a little bit different. But there was this thought in my head of how great it was back when I was 20 and dumb and naive. And at the time, anywhere would have been fun. But then we went back and it was about four days in. My wife looked at me and she's like, I think this is the best trip we've ever taken. Oh, and that's I, great. Anyway, I love that. I just love that place so much. Question, what is this, five? Uh, if, you <laughs> could travel, if you could travel with one person for a week and then never see or hear from them again, who would you choose? Oh, that's good. And they, Guinness. they can oh, be alive or dead. Okay. The narcissistic part of me wanted to say my past self or my future self. Oh. Um. Yeah, I'd like to travel with my past self and be like, "Hey, man, it's going to be okay. Just want you to know that. Like, things are going to work out all right." Um. And uh, someone who's not me, it's hard for me to think of outside of myself sometimes but uh i'd honestly like to just travel with a dead relative like right now i take it back I, I figured it out i rambled for a couple minutes i figured it out my uncle doug who was the guy that just kind of showed up for me in every area of my life growing up that one example of my uncle doug and just being super selfless is that when i was 11 years old i started a lawn mowing business i didn't have a lawn mower i couldn't drive but i was like one of our neighbors wanted me to mow his grass, and I just, yeah, I'll do that. So I found a lawnmower, started mowing his grass. Then somebody else, then somebody else hired me, and somebody else. So every Saturday, my uncle Doug, who worked in a factory and had a an awful job, quite frankly, would get up, bring his truck, help me load up a lawnmower and trimmer, and go mow grass with me, and let me keep every dime that I made for probably three or four summers in a row. And that's just a, that's one small example of all the things that he did. I feel like throughout my entire childhood, there was never anything that I could ask of him that he would say no to. My uncle Doug is a guy that just, there's nothing that I ever could have asked of him that I feel like he would have said no to. He's also the kind of guy that talks about a lot of great plans and never actually does them as it pertains to living life and doing things and experiences He's never, well, he died a couple of years ago, but he never, he never went anywhere. And he always talked about like, oh, we should do this together. We should do that. Or I'd have these ideas. And he, as we got closer to the time to actually do it, he would always come up with some sort of an excuse or like, ah, I don't have any money right now. Or there was always something that kept him from going. And um, if I could get a week back with Uncle Doug, and go let him see something as simple as the Rocky Mountains or go to the coast and just see the ocean. I, that's who it would be, just to get a week back with Uncle Doug to do do the thing that I, he and I dreamed about but never actually got to do. I love that. That's the most meaningful answer I think I've ever gotten to that, or that question. Well, good. So question six, what is your biggest fear while traveling? I think it's just because we're usually away from our kids, something happens to our kids. That's it. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's as far as us, we're, we'll be okay. But if we're like being in Australia, for example, we were 9,000 miles away from our kids. Yeah. That's got to be kind of hard. And it's 
I'm maybe a little dead inside. So it's not something that I really think about a whole lot. Or I just think, look, everything's going to be okay. And there's not the illusion of control is is gone as far as we're concerned. We There's not or the illusion of control isn't something that we're um, delusional about. But like we know that something can happen at any time. There's nothing that we can do about it. But the idea that you're not there is probably the the one thing that I would say a fear uh, that is a fear. And it's my wife is probably a better parent than I am. So she feels that a little bit more than I do. But that's the one thing that because we do travel without them at least a few times a year, it's just that something something happens and you're you're away and you can't get back. It's understandable for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. So next question. Planes, trains, or automobiles, how do you prefer to travel? Planes. We ne- Dude, we never go on road trips. I feel like, I don't know why we don't. Like, we'll drive to New Orleans or pop over to Austin, but I feel like every time that we get in a get in a car, we're like, oh, oh, people do this. Like, people, but planes. Maybe it's because where we live, it's hot, flat, and crowded, and to get anywhere awesome. Or get me get to where things are naturally beautiful. We gotta we gotta hop on a plane. Okay, I totally get that. Um, what is the strangest thing you've ever tasted? In all of my travels, I've had all kinds of weird shit. Horse. I'm sure I ate dog in China. There's got to be something strange. We've all tried. yeah. I've had kangaroo. I've had kangaroo fillet. Oh, it's delicious. That's not bad. Yeah, there was a little pub in in Fitzroy in Melbourne that we had. They do a chicken parm with a kangaroo fillet on top, like kangaroo fillet diced up. And anyway, that's the one thing. I don't know how exotic that is. I guess that, I, I guess that counts. I mean, for Americans, it's very exotic. Yeah, yeah. Um, other than that, oh, actually, have had times where. We um, where we're just trusting people, and they're like, "Oh, you can eat this." Whether if you're on a trail and it's berries or some sort of indigenous fruit or something, they're like, "Oh, here, just have this," and you just blindly trust people, not knowing what it is. Um, I guess the last time that was the case, we were in El Salvador, actually, for a on a trip drilling wells for villages to get get clean water, and the people that we were with didn't really speak English, and they would just hand us stuff to eat we're like yeah we'll try that and not knowing what it is um but yeah i'd say either kangaroo or being in remote villages of el salvador and just not really having any idea what we're eating okay okay um that and i would say back to that el salvador story you know their their stomachs are used to and accustomed to digesting things that we just can't all that well so being in El Salvador where the infrastructure is not great and then just blindly obliging to our host, like, hey, yeah, not knowing what we're eating. Yeah, I I ran into that in India. I ate a lot of things that, well, <laughs> it wasn't good for me. <laughs> but yeah. everybody else was fine with it. Yeah, and that's the other thing about that El Salvador. Like they were – like we would go out to a drill site and – work and we they would do lunch like the village would give us lunch and they would just fry everything to kill all the bacteria 
for the most part, but you're like, they're your host and they're making you like, they're killing the chicken to give to you for lunch. And it's a big deal. And you want to oblige and be respectful, but you also want to know what you're eating and not. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Not have to make like a three hour drive to San Salvador to get to an airport or to get to a hospital. Oh, that sounds terrible. But yeah, that would be it. Those two. If you were to sit down on a plane right now, pop in your headphones, what would be the first thing you listen to? Ooh. Uh, there is actually a, like, a charming, God, I don't even know his name. What, who is that? Um, I'm a little behind on it. It's a podcast called The Glass With. He's like a sommelier and wine expert that just shares a glass of wine with people. So they talk about the wine. Ollie Smith is the guy's name. Yeah, a glass with with Ollie Smith, and they bring a an interesting wine. They talk about the bottle. They talk about stories regarding food, wine, life, depending on what that person's into. That's what I'd throw on right now. I've got about six of those to catch up on, and he is the most <laughs> um, God. What's the best way to say it? Like the most stereotypical British guy that says these like super enthusiastic. Um, British colloquialisms. Um, yeah, so that would be a, a glass with podcast. Um, either that or uh, Malcolm Gladwell's Revisionist History's got a new season that I've got to catch up on. But I would say that, yeah, those two. What I'd listen yeah. to right now. Awesome. Um, okay, and the last question is: Have you ever been anywhere that turned out to be completely different than you expected, and if so, how? Yeah. Um, speaking of that, London, that was my first international trip. And, uh, yeah, we did Paris, London and Normandy. And it's just kind of, I grew up in a small town in the Midwest and that was one of the few places that I knew about and thought about and dreamed like, Oh, I'd love to go to London. And, uh, didn't really like it that much. Like it just, yeah, it feels blasphemous to say, but it, we were super disappointed with London. Um, uh, there, oh, and then the other, I would say, getting back to that El Salvador story, you kind of have pity on people that live in remote villages that don't have access to clean water and don't have heating or air conditioning and live in a house with a dirt floor. But, dude, they were happier than us. Like, they truly were happier than, than I was. And there's nothing about their material possessions that would suggest that from a Western perspective. I mean, we would be doing work and in the middle of it, someone would start a game of tag or find a soccer ball to kick around. And it's like grown men who are 50 years old would just start playing tag. And it, I went there thinking like I was doing some wonderful humanitarian effort. And and it was a good thing. Um but yeah, dude, it surprised me. Like those guys are happy. Um, their lifestyle is so much different than ours. And that was probably the hardest reentry I've ever had. And I did not expect that at all. But coming back to the US and just especially in a place like Texas, where consumption wins the day and everyone wants the new biggest, most expensive, gaudy thing, it really surprised me how hard it was coming back 
to Houston from El Salvador. And like for the first month, I was like, I kind of wish I was still in El Salvador. Um, yeah, I would say that there was a pure joy in adults, like kids and adults. Normally you see that in kids around the world, but that's something that translated into even grown men that I haven't seen in other places. And it's really cliche. People say the less you have, the happier you are. I don't know if that's always true, but it felt that way when we were there. And that really surprised me. It's it's kind of surprising how you see people and it it stands true. Like I've noticed that as I travel too. It seems like people are genuinely happy no matter what they have. Yeah. You, um, and then the other really cool stories that came out of that is and this was a stolen idea from somebody else that we found an old Polaroid picture or like Polaroid camera where, you, you know, the pictures printed out yep. and we would go to these, like I said, pretty remote villages in El Salvador and you'd take a picture of the group or take a picture of a family and you'd hand it and they just, they didn't have any pictures of themselves or their families. And there was this one part where, we took a picture and it was a group of kids that we were playing soccer or throwing a Frisbee with, by the way, they'd never seen a Frisbee before. And it just really blew their mind. Like what the hell is that thing? Um, but it was a group of maybe 10 boys or something like that. And we took pictures and gave them to each of the kids. And there were two or three that they look at it for five or 10 seconds and then start going crazy. And then the, and somebody else did that. And then another one did that. And I figured it out that they've never seen their own reflection or picture. So these kids yeah. are like looking at a picture and they're like, that's not me. That's not me. Like, Oh my God, that's, that's me. That's what I look like. Oh my God. Like, and I just, it's one of those things that I've never thought about. And it's maybe my favorite travel story um, of anywhere that I've been just because that you never would think that a kid had never seen it. a 10 year old kid and didn't know what he looked like. Um, but it makes sense. It adds up. You know, they don't have mirrors in their houses or the houses they were at. I mean, I guess unless you catch a reflection of yourself in water, you're not going to know. It, but it's just something that's so foreign to me. And I never thought um, I never thought about that at all. Yeah, it's not something I would think about, but it's no from from every like every story I've read where people have done that on trips. It's it tends to be a thing. And I can't, yeah, I can't even begin to imagine what it was like just for that any of those kids. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, I mean, it's a self-indulgent story that I like to tell, but I think that it's one of those things that, you know, for a family at least to have a family picture that they can throw on the wall and something yeah. that they see and treasure. I'm sure, I'm sure it's very much treasured. But no, that's one of my favorites. That's very cool. Again, I'd like to thank my guest, Travis Timmons from So How Was Your Trip podcast. You can find him on Instagram at So How Was Your Trip. I'll link both in the show notes. Again, I'd like to thank you for listening. Uh, you can find us on social media, Lost in Transit podcast on Instagram, Lost in Transit PC on Twitter and Facebook, lostintransitpc at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, complaints, until next time, get lost. Get lost.